This is Colossians 1, verses 9 through 14. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. The word of the Lord. Y'all can have a seat now. Bow your heads with me, please, uh, Father. We, uh, we need a firm foundation this morning. Maybe some of us need a new foundation. I know I need my foundation shore up. Um, like, uh, like floodwaters and, and heavy rains that can kind of wear at a bank. Um, life uh, is just full of so many things that wear and that tear and erode. Some of that's inside me, some of that's outside me. Um, but we, we gather uh, for uh, the, the, the purpose of being strengthened, for being encouraged, for being taught, um, for meeting you. Because you are our firm foundation. You're the, the strong tower, uh, the, the buttress for the walls that feel so shaky. And so it's uh, in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit uh, that we approach your word. We thank you for your word. We ask that it would go forth and bear much fruit among us and that we would be people who uh, carry the firm foundation of your word and the fruit that's produced um, to the people that are very hungry in our community, in our city, in our world. So do that, Holy Spirit, and we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Jonathan. Most of y'all probably know me, but I'm uh, giving Dave a really well-earned break this morning, so I'm going to be preaching. And I, I want to know, um, did as a kid, did you ever write a letter to one of your idols? You know, I'm talking about like maybe you wrote a letter to Santa. Maybe Santa wasn't your idol, but maybe you wrote a letter to Santa. Or maybe you decided you were going like, to write a letter to some like movie star or uh, you know, musician, right? Someone that just as a kid, you're just like, ah, oh, like, I wonder what's going to happen. Like, what, like, maybe they'll tell me something. Well, imagine, um, not only did you, uh, did you send that letter, and not only did you get a reply, but the reply was, man, I would love to, like, sit down and have, like, a couple hours with you, right? I would love to just, like, meet you. Thanks for sending me this letter. I would love to sit down with you and just share some things uh, that I have for you. So, imagine if, like, the, the, maybe it's not your idol. Maybe, say, the person whose wisdom, the person whose opinion, the person whose life experience you value the most in the whole world. Maybe it's not even someone who's alive right now, but someone who, if you could, if you could have some time with them, you would take it in a heartbeat. What if they told you, I'm going to give you a couple, couple hours, and I'm going to tell you something that I've been praying for you? What if they actually said, you know what, I have been praying nonstop for you, that something would be true for you? Do you think you'd want to know what that is? 
Like, do you think, would you care that this person who you have put so much stock in, their opinion and their wisdom and their experience, they want to give you something that they've been praying ceaselessly for you? Well, we have an opportunity. That is exactly what Christine just read from our scripture that Paul is doing for the Colossian church, that we get to now kind of sit in on. That Paul the apostle, right, who the Colossians had never met, but if you want to, if you want to talk about like a, an ancient idol, right, for the Christian church, and I mean that in like a good sense, okay, like Paul was that man. Paul was the man in the church at this time. In the entire Christian world, Paul was the man that everyone knew. The Colossian church would have known him. All the churches would have known him. And he is writing to this Colossian church, people who he had never met before, by the way, who had never met him, He's writing to them and he's saying, you know what? I have been praying nonstop for you. Since the day we heard about you, he says, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God something for you. Do you care what that is? So that's the opportunity that we have this morning. So there's three things that Paul's prayer for this Colossian church and also for us is for. There's three things that, that are summed up in this prayer that we're going to look at. The first is Paul is praying for who they're becoming He's also praying for what they're knowing, and he's praying for where they're going. He's praying for who they're becoming, what they're knowing, and where they're going. So let's see what this prayer is that he's praying for them. Well, if you, if you look, if you dig into the passage and you read these, you know, uh, I guess it would be like 13 verses, 14 verses that Christine read, there's one thing that if you're me, you're most immediately drawn to, and it's actually in the middle. And Paul says, all this stuff at first, and he says, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. And I know that might, that might just sound like such like spiritual language, like live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, but would you imagine what it would be like if your life was actually worthy of the Lord and if your actions in your life was pleasing to him in every way? Is that... Is that kind of a shocking prayer that Paul would be praying for the church? Do you see it that way? That he says, I'm praying that you would live a life worthy of the Lord and you would please him in every way in your life. That's a big deal. And then he goes on to explain what some of these things are. What does it look like to live a life worthy of the Lord? What does it look like to please him in every way? Well, first he says, you're bearing fruit in every good work. This is in verse 10. He says, you're growing in the knowledge of God. You're being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. And finally, you're giving joyful thanks to the Father. So he's saying, you have tons of fruit. You've got good works. You've got deep knowledge. You've got good thinking. You've got all strength and power. You've got good abilities. You've got great endurance and patience. You've got good staying power. Oh, and by the way, you're doing all of it with joyful thanks, so you got a good attitude even while you do it. Is that an amazing life that Paul's describing, that he is praying for this church? He's saying, I want you to be worthy of the Lord and pleasing in every way, and look at all these things that that means. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a full life. This is a beautiful life that Paul's describing. And that is what worthy and pleasing looks like for the Lord. Could, could we just pause for a second and talk about how much in our world and how much in our life is shouting that same desire? That, that everything in our world is, is 
on this quest and on this search for those two things, to be worthy and to be pleasing. And then he even throws in there, uh, kind of toward the end of that segment, to be qualified. That our life is all about being worthy, being pleasing. That our whole world wants this. It's what all products are created to do, right? Any product that's marketed, it's created to do something for you in your life that makes your life matter, that, that gives your life more meaning, that makes your life more worthy, more pleasing. It's what all, what, it's what all art is produced to, to picture. It's what, what all art that's produced is aspiring to do, is to, to portray what this looks like, this beautiful life, this full life. It's all what all our commercials and our advertising promise to give us. Worthiness and pleasingness to whoever matters. That's right, right? To whoever matters, whatever God you're serving, whatever thing you care about, I want to be worthy, I want to be pleasing for that. And so in many ways, every single one of us in the entire world, whether it knows Jesus or not, is praying the same prayer that Paul is praying for the Colossian church. Would I be worthy? Would I be pleasing? And of course, the question, the very important question, the question that that should obviously lead you to is, what gives me that? Like, what gives me worthiness? What gives me a life that's full and beautiful and pleasing to the Lord? What's the doorway that I walk through to get to this kind of life? I was um, watching this, uh, it was sort of a mashup video of about 30 different celebrity interviews, and not all like celebrities, just famous authors famous movie directors, um, famous CEOs of of massive businesses. It was this this mashup of about 30 different interviews with these incredibly successful people. And the theme, the the thing that was repeated, and the reason they mashed up all these interviews is because every single one of the interviews contained the exact same little bite. And it was at some point during the interview when this famous, successful, incredible, worthy person was speaking, and they said... Whatever you're hoping that that this will give you, talking about their fame and their prestige and their accomplishments, whatever you're hoping that this whole thing will give you, whatever you're hoping to get from this, it's not going to do it. You won't get it. I mean, this was everyone from John Lennon to Lady Gaga included. Whatever it is that you think this, this thing is, this fame, this, this, this prestige, this amazing, incredible, full, beautiful, and successful life, whatever you think it's going to give you, every single one of them, all 30 of them said it won't do it. And so we're still, our society and our culture, even when we make it to the mountaintop of what we say is the most, you know, most you can possibly accomplish, when we make it there, we're still on this quest for worthiness. We're still on this quest for fulfillment. We're on this quest for the good and the beautiful life. So what makes you worthy? What makes you pleasing? What is the doorway? If it's not success, it's not fame, it's not money, it's not any you know these things that we, we list and list. We know these are the things that our society is about, and we know in our own hearts these are the things that we want. If we know that they won't get it for us, then what is the doorway into this full and beautiful life? So this, this section of the scripture that we read, this part of the prayer where Paul describes the worthy life and he describes the, the full and beautiful life, this is the middle of his prayer. This actually isn't Paul's prayer for us. Paul doesn't actually pray in and of itself that we would get this. He actually prays something different. So if you look at verse 9, so go up to the top of our passage, this is what Paul actually prays for us, and this is what he says is the doorway into such a worthy life. 
For this reason, verse 9, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. Through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Paul is praying for what they know. So he described the prayer for them of what they're becoming. But secondly, he's praying for what they're knowing, what they know. And he says, we continually pray that God would fill you with the knowledge of his will. Ah, God's will. What an interesting thing, right? What a complicated thing. What a confusing thing. I grew up, you know, hearing, and and if you grew up in Christian circles, you hear these statements like, well, Lord willing, such and such. Like, yeah, sure, we'll go, Lord willing. Like, I think my dad would used to always say that when he talked about vacations, right? Didn't want to set the expectation too high. It's like, well, yeah, Lord willing. Lord willing, we'll go. Or you'll say, you know, if it's God's will, then such and such will happen. It's a very good Christian thing to say, and it's very accurate and very true. But what do we mean by that? Like, what is God's will? Right? I, I, I think I grow, grew up, and I think I most naturally kind of fall into thinking God's will is, you know, sort of like a, if you could, like, mash up a, a, you know, one of those magic eight balls and, like, a treasure map right? Like, put those two things together, and that's maybe God's will. It's like something that I kind of want to, like, shake it and see what comes out. Like, what am I supposed to do with my life kind of thing? Or what's the pathway that I take in this, this kind of treasure search, right? Like, that's God's will. And it's not entirely wrong, but how Paul is using this and, and why he makes this prayer for the knowledge of his will, the central thing that he's praying for, for the church of Colossians, is because he knows that it's through the knowledge of God's will, and, I would, and we'll unpack this, but through being filled with the knowledge of God's will, that every single one of those things, this worthy life actually flows. So what does that mean? What is God's will? We're going to kind of talk about this in two different ways. The first is that will equals want. Will equals want. God's will equals what God wants. And this is actually true for all of us, too. My will is what I want. But we're very different from God, aren't we? My wants are very changing, right? My wants are very shallow. Sometimes we even use the same word, right? This is where sometimes even our English language doesn't capture because I say, like, I want a candy bar or, man, I I want more sleep. And I also say, like, I want a fulfilled life. I use the exact same word for all these things. What we want is not always good for us. What we want is not always best. And what we want is certainly not always perfect. It's inconsistent. It's informed by the wrong things, right? I, I, I feed myself with the wrong things that then inform what I want. And my wants are easily manipulated by the world, right? Like I, I, I fall on to whatever, whatever you say it is that I want. Like that's, that's the purpose of marketing is to make me want something, to tell me what it is that I want. And I take the bait every time. And even more than that, the problem with my will or my wants is that even if I knew what I wanted and even if what I wanted was something good, I don't even necessarily have the power to get it, do I? Like I can actually arrive at a good and holy want and I can't make it true for me. So in other words, we are completely limited by what we want. I was trying to think of a way that I could show this and no, we are not doing a large baptism today. But I want you to think about my will kind of like this little cup that my kids have in their bathtub. 
Okay, my will or my wants are very small. Okay, this isn't very large. It can't hold very much. Um, my, my, my will and my wants are incomplete. But maybe most importantly of all is as a sinful person, my will and my wants are full of holes. Like, I actually believe because of sin, and the Bible teaches because of sin, that my very desires are corrupted. Like, it's not just that I, like, do bad things. It's not just what sin means, but I want bad things. That, that the, the, the desires of my heart, the things that I'm pursuing and wanting, they're informed by sinful things, and my sin, sinful heart t- attaches and latches onto these, and my will and my wants are just like this cup. They're never going to be filled because they're always changing, because they're being filled with the wrong things, because they're full of holes. So in other words, just like this little cup, we are completely limited by what we want. That my wants, and therefore my will, is limited. I don't have unlimited wisdom, I don't have unlimited discernment, and I certainly don't have unlimited holiness. But God is not limited in any of these ways, is he? God's will is also what God wants. But the difference is that what God wants is completely different than what I want. That what God wants is always good. What God wants is always best. And what God wants is always the perfect thing to want. Romans 12.2 says it exactly. It says, Do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is pleasing, and what is his perfect will. So God's will is not limited like ours. He's not limited in what he sees. Okay, God's will is like this bucket. It's way bigger. It holds way more. In fact, it's infinite. You can't have a bucket big enough to be filled with all the good things that God knows and God understands and God wants. Everything good is inside his will, and nothing bad is in there. Everything bad is outside. It's full, it's complete, and so it's unlimited. Whereas our wills are limited in all the ways I said, God's will is unlimited. He's not limited in what he sees. He sees infinitely. He understands everything. Scripture even says he understands the depths of each person's thoughts and heart, right? Psalms, David says, you know, when I wake up, you're still with me. When I lie down to sleep, you discern my thoughts from afar. You're acquainted with all my ways. God's will goes in his sight and his vision go even to the depths of my own desires and my own heart. And he's not limited in his wisdom and his discernment. He's perfectly wise. Isaiah 28 says, All things come from the Lord Almighty, whose plan is, wonder- whose plan is wonderful, whose wisdom is magnificent, and whose understanding is infinite. So will equals want. What God wills is what God wants, and what he wants is not limited like mine. It's perfect. But maybe most encouraging and most importantly, because what God wants is perfect and because he also has perfect power, God's will is also what he does. In other words, unlike me, who when I want something, I don't necessarily do it. I don't necessarily have the power to do it. Everything God wants, because it's perfect and because it's good and because he's all-powerful, everything God wants, God does. So God's will is also what God does. His power, his wisdom, his goodness, his love, 
His perfect understanding of all things means that anytime he wants something, anytime his will gets attached to something, it is the same thing as what happens. That's just a, a taste of what it means to believe in a sovereign God. And so what's interesting is when we look back at the will of God and we treat it kind of like that mashup of the eight ball and the treasure map, what I'm doing in that moment is I'm saying, well, God's will is something that I can get so I can do. Like if I can just figure out what God's will is, then I'm going to be the one and go do, right? Like if you can just tell me what to do, then I'll go do it. That's not the way Paul's describing this. Paul prays that the people in Colossae would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And we can now see why that is the prayer he prays for them. He prays, would, would you be filled with the knowledge of God's will so that you can then become people that live the way he's describing, that live that worthy life. Paul wants us and Paul wants the Colossians to be filled with that perfect, wise, holy, infinite, and unlimited will of God. And so what that means, again, trying to use this illustration. What that means is what Paul desires when our wills are like this is not just that, that maybe we would learn a little bit more about God's will. Like maybe if I can just get more of that like you know, spirit juice and like get it in there and like maybe, maybe I'll understand what God's will is. What Paul is praying for the Colossians is that their will would be conformed to God's will. That their will would actually end up inside the will of God that their will and God's will would become the same thing. This isn't just, a, well, if I can just get a little bit more of God's will, if I can get understanding of God's will, if I can like read something that will give it to me, then I'll be able to go do it. No, he's saying, yo, you're, you got holes in the bottom of your cup. You have to conform your will to the will of the Lord. And that is what he's praying for for them. Look back at Romans 12 too. He says at the beginning of there, he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. In other words, don't be conformed to another will. Don't be conformed to the will of the world. Be transformed. Gain a new will. Take your will and submerge it inside the will of God so that your will becomes his will and so that your will can be, com can be completely conformed to his will. So how in the world can that be possible? Is Paul just saying, just, you just got to like want the same things God wants, right? Be about the th same things God's about, right? Like go read scripture and then do the things that God does. Like make, your, like make your will his will. That's not possible. And this is how Paul says it happens. Verse 9 in Colossians 1, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. And this is why the will of God is much more about a relationship with the Lord than it is about things you go do. The will of God is much more about a, a relationship with God than it is about finding out the best thing to do and go doing it. Paul says, I pray that you will be filled with the knowledge of His will through the wisdom and the understanding that the Spirit gives you. God's will comes to us through his spirit that's moving in us, through his spirit that's inside of us. We believe, and scripture teaches, that when you come to faith in Jesus, the spirit of God actually comes in you. And guess what the spirit brings with him? The will of God. 
We see this in John 14, 15, and 16. It says that the Spirit comforts you. The Spirit guides you into all truth. Okay, there, there it is. That's what I want. I want to be guided into truth. And John says, or Jesus says in Scripture, that the Spirit comes into you and He guides you into all truth. He also convicts you of what's good, and he convicts you of what's bad. You see this picture of now my will, because of the Holy Spirit, my will is now submerged in the will of God, and I'm being taught from within what is the good and pleasing and perfect will of God. So Paul is praying for the Colossians that they would be people who are becoming. He gives them this picture of what the worthy life looks like what the pleasing life looks like. He's praying for them to be, to, to be becoming. But he also, before that, he prays that they are knowing, that they're learning the will of God, that they're being filled with the will of God. And so the nagging question that at least I was left with as I was working through this is, okay, well, that's really great. So I need to be filled with the will of God, but I, I still don't know how to be worthy. I still don't know how to be pleasing to him. It feels like as I go through this life and I believe I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, why is it that I don't feel like I'm pleasing and worthy to the Lord? And there's a reason why that question still lingers in me and maybe in you. And it's because deep down I have this suspicion, I have this realization that I actually can't do anything to be worthy myself. That, that I actually am, my will is still like this, this cup full of holes in the bottom. That if it's left up to me to actually conform my will to the Lord's, to actually be someone whose behavior is aligned with the Lord's, then I'm never going to be worthy. And that's why the, kind of the final aspect of God's will that's so important, not only is God's will what he wants, and not only is God's will what he does, God's will is also his choice. Because I am not worthy, I am not qualified enough to be worthy and to be qualified. I'm not. I'm not pleasing enough to be pleasing. And so this has got to be someone else's work. This has got to be someone else's choice. This has got to be someone else's will. And so what is God's will for you? God's will for you is you. His choice of you. God's will for you is nothing more and nothing less than his choosing of you and his desire for you and his placing of his love upon you. His will for you is nothing more than his choice than to take your will and align it with his through the Holy Spirit. And it's why in our passage, at the very end, Paul says this, the Lord has, this is verse 12, the Lord has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. He has qualified you. He has qualified you. You were not worthy of him. He qualified you. And then it says the gospel. He's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. You are God's will. You are God's choice. And it's so, so hard for me to believe this because I believe deep down that I have to add something to that work. I have to contribute something to be worthy and pleasing. 
That if I want to be someone who's full of bearing fruit, that, that someone that's full in, in growing in my knowledge of the Lord, someone that's full and worthy through being strengthened with all power, that I'm going to be the one that bears fruit. I'm going to, want, going to be the one that gains all the knowledge, and I'm going to be the one that's strengthened with all power. And he's saying, it is Jesus's love for you, his choice to love you and to pursue you and claim you, and putting his spirit in you, that is what makes you worthy and pleasing. Maybe the most powerful passage in all of Scripture that talks about the will of God is in John 17. And it confirms what I just said. Jesus, this is called Jesus' high priestly prayer. And he sits down, he's up on a mountain, I think, and he's looking down over the city of Jerusalem. He's thinking about all, the, all of his children. He's thinking about all the people that he is on his way to die for. And he says a couple things. First, he says, Father, my will is to do your will. He's saying, my will is to be conformed to your will in me. And then he says this, what your will is, and therefore what my will is, is that my people would be with me. He says, I want them to be with me. I want them to be one, Father, like you and I are one. So Jesus' prayer for himself is that his own will would be conformed to the will of the Father, and that in so doing, the Father's desire that his people would be with him would also be Jesus' desire. And we are those who are being desired. We are those who the Lord chose to be with us, who chose to be in relationship with us. He has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. He has rescued you from dominion of darkness and brought you into the kingdom of the Son, whom he loves. And in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. And so this passage ends with the work of Jesus because it has to. It can't end anywhere else. If, if my goal in life is to be worthy and to be pleasing of the Lord, what Paul tells you is the first thing you have to understand is you have to know God's will for you. You have to know that he has chosen you. You have to know that he loves you. That You cannot add anything to that work. You're the, the cup full of holes. But he's taken you and through his spirit, through his spirit saving you, has submerged you into the life of Christ. You're now one with him. And so our final point, who are we becoming? People who are worthy. What are we knowing? The will of God. And where are we going? It says he has rescued you from the dominion of darkness and he's brought you into the kingdom of light. Where we're going is a kingdom of light. And there's, there's aspects of that that are true right now, which means I would invite you to go on the journey of discerning God's will for your life. I'm not making fun of trying to discern God's will for your life because this side of heaven, that is absolutely something that's important to do. We don't know the full will of God. God hasn't revealed his full will to us. But what you do know is that you are in him. That his choice of you and his love for you has taken you and put, him, put you in a safe and secure place in him. And so now what you get to do is people that are, that are free to discern what is it that the Lord has called me to do? What is the, the Lord's will for my life? Not to make me worthy, but as someone who already is worthy, what can I now go do to proclaim the love of the Lord to everyone else? To show other people their own worthiness. And this is why Paul can actually make that crazy, beautiful prayer that you would be people who are worthy and pleasing to the Lord.
couple things that I want to give you at the end, because I, I really wanted to give a couple practical um, points of if I, if I know this, if I believe this, um, if I'm at least going to go on the journey this week of choosing to believe that it's the Lord's choice of me that's part of his will, that it's his claiming of me and bringing me into a relationship of oneness with him, um, then that frees us to go on that journey of looking for what is the will of, of the Lord for you. So the first thing I would say if you're on that journey, um, what, am I, what am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? Am I supposed to take this job? Like all, all these things. Um, I'm going to give you four things uh, that have just been things I've been reading about uh, in Scripture and praying through this week. The first is um, you're now free to take what it is that you enjoy as part of that decision. You're now free to take what it is that you enjoy, which is also what the Lord has put in you, these skills, these abilities. What are the personal things that you have been created with that other people have acknowledged that, that they say, this is, this is something, this is a strength in you. You're now free to take that. That's not selfish. That's not prideful. The Lord has made you beautifully. He's given you strengths and gifts. Number two, you take the needs around you. You take the real needs of the world. Um, and I would suggest start not with the needs of the world, but what are the needs right around me? What are the needs in my family? What are the needs on my street? What are the needs in my job? We can always wonder if the Lord has taken us or is going to take us somewhere where we're not, but we always know he's put us exactly where we are. So I, I, I know he maybe is going to take me somewhere where I'm not yet, but I do know he's put me right where I am. So take the needs of those around you. So what am I good at? What are my abilities? What do I enjoy? What are the needs of the world around me? Take prayer. It says, uh, not sure where, um, if you're walking in the Spirit, stay in step with the Spirit. If you're in the Spirit, Scripture says, then, then continue, stay in step with the Spirit. Do that through prayer. So ask for discernment. You're the leaky sieve. Okay, this side of heaven, there are still parts of your will that are leaky. So pray that the Lord would show you what His will is for you, that, that you would remain submerged in Him. And so seek the Lord in prayer. And then finally, get advice of the people in your life that the Lord has put there with wisdom. Who are those people, right? Who's that person that if you could spend two hours with and, and hear their words for you, Seek those people out. Ask them. Believe that the Lord will speak to you through others. Uh, potentially people in this church. People that the Lord has put in your life. So freedom. You have now been given freedom because you're the choice of the Lord. His will has been set on you. He's called you out of darkness. He's now put you in a kingdom of light. So go on the free journey of discerning what am I good at? What are the needs around me? What am I been praying for and what's the Lord saying? And then what are other people saying to me? All right, let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you uh, that it was your will to come to this earth. It was your will to uh, throw off um, the robes of a king up in heaven and to put on the flesh of a broken creature like a man. Thank you that it was your will to pursue us. It was your will to choose to love uh, someone that you created other than yourself. Um, being perfect and full and whole and having, having this perfection within yourself, you chose to go outside of yourself and love something else. 
Thank you that you chose to do that. Lord, and thank you that you're now choosing us to to take us on a journey, not just to to remain submerged, but to be people that get out, that that bring now the, the empowerment and strength and all those things that Paul lists are true for us in Christ. We now take those things and we can take them to the world that's so thirsty, that's so thirsty for what makes me worthy, what makes me pleasing, what makes me qualified. God, will we not just be people that uh, wallow in our guilt or our shame or our sin, but would we be people that recognize that it's even in the midst of all those things that you called us and you've now empowered us with your Holy Spirit. Teach us to seek your will. Teach us the humility that that requires. Pray this in your son's name. Amen.